have you seen me dice bag? <laughs> the Grognard Files. Hello. The name's Dice. Dirk the Dice. And this is the Grognard Files podcast. Talking bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day. I'm coming live from my den under the stairs at Dirt Towers in Adlington, Chorley in the northwest of England. The podcast has been described as catnip for old gamers, and in my secret under the stairs base, I have my great library of RPGs and my grognard files. Unusual one this time, it's in a sealed folder, marked for your eyes only. Only for you. You'll see what no one else can see. To my left is my ridiculous homemade shrine to the actress, Caroline Monroe. I'll just give it a tap. Ah, yes. Once again, she returns as everyone's favourite winker. Naomi, the killer in a copter. Or at least I think it is. This time it's a line drawing with the eyes out of whack for licensing reasons. Yes, this time we're looking at Victory Games, James Bond 007. Role playing in Her Majesty's Secret Service. Bana bana! We've had another review on iTunes, which is always a boost and very gratefully received. This time it's from Mike Hobbs from the Meeples and Miniatures podcast. I happened across this podcast one day on Twitter and I thought I'd give it a quick listen, as I used to play RPGs in the 80s. I was hooked from the start. Over the past two weeks, I listened to most of the back catalogue, as well as supporting them on Patreon. I may have also made a few purchases of the games I used to own back in the day. Who knows, I might start playing RuneQuest again, and head for the big rubble. In the meantime, I'll just break open another pack of hobnobs, and carry on listening to this fabulous show. Thanks Mike, and thanks to the profile of Meeples and Miniatures podcast, he sent a number of new listeners in our direction. Welcome to you all. I hope your wallet is ready to take a battering after listening to this podcast as the James Bond 007 material is fairly readily available and very collectible as many of the supplements came out in boxes with smart player handouts. Now, this is a big one. It's not long enough to split in two and too long to be in one part. Either way, it's dissatisfying. So take your time. Don't operate heavy machinery whilst listening and you should be okay. I'll be giving a brief potted history of the game before Judge Blythe, the resident rules lawyer, will join me to cast a critical eye over some of the innovations of the game. After that, we'll be doing an actual play. We've been playing the Goldfinger adventure to see how the game works. So we'll present some intense one-on-one Goldfingering action for your listening pleasure. In the Starburst Memories section, we'll be looking at Bond movies, Bond villains, and how we can learn about the villains to improve our game. Also, we're doing a fanzine. You can get one if you sign up in the next couple of weeks. Listen to the final bit to find out more. Ramblers, let's get rambling. Potted history. The man seemed to realise that he was being watched. He looked up and gazed in curious at them for a moment, Then he reached for a briefcase on the chair beside him, extracted a newspaper and started to read it, his elbows propped up on the table. 
When the man had turned his face towards them, Bond noticed that he had a black patch over one eye. It was not tied with tape across the eye, but screwed in like a monocle. Otherwise he seemed a friendly middle-aged man with dark brown hair brushed straight back, and, as Bond had seen when he was talking to the patron, particularly large white teeth. He turned back to Vesper. Really, darling, it was quite innocent. It's character moments like this from Casino Royale that Jared Chris Klug broke down and rebuilt when he was considering the game design of James Bond 007. How could he represent Bond's instinct, his ability to read the situation and the threats around him? In the game, this became a sixth sense skill, an ability to have an edge over the non-player characters. In the late 70s, Klug was a theatre lighting designer, travelling with rock bands and theatre productions, as well as an enthusiastic gamer. He was in New York when he called into the Open Playtest at SPI, Simulation Publications Incorporated, and was talent-spotted by games designer Eric Lee Smith, who offered him some freelance work, which led to him joining the payroll. His credits at SPI include Dragon Quest, one of our favourites, look out for a future grog pod, and Universe RPG, a challenger to traveller. When SPI dissolved, he worked for Victory, a subsidiary of war games publisher Avalon Hill, who were keen to develop their RPG line. He suggested they work on a long-held idea for an espionage project. Top Secret was the only game in the spy space, and it didn't appeal to Klug because of its simulationist approach. His background in drama influenced the aesthetic of his game design. His training provided a set of tools that allowed him to break down situations and characters to understand the meaning and how they work. He suggested to his friend Bob Kern that it should be possible to develop an espionage game that was more about role-playing without having a war game approach. They began developing the idea in 1982 with the target of Christmas 1983. Meanwhile, Victory were in discussions with the licence holders for the films and novels of James Bond. To the apparent surprise of everyone, they agreed, with some caveats. Bob Kern was a keen Bond enthusiast, and he made sure that Clue's design matched the flavour of the setting, combining the grit of the novels with the glitz of the movies. The rules were packed with great mechanics to emulate situations that Bond finds himself in. Gambling, chasing, hand-to-hand combat, the effects of fame, key allies and enemies, thrilling locations, gadgets and vehicles. On its release, it was a great success, a bestseller. The product line was supported by adventures based on characters and locations from the films. Doctor No, Live and Let Die, Octopussy and A View to a Kill. Apparently, Eon, the licence owners for the films, were perplexed that the scenarios didn't follow the plot of the films. Bob Kern pointed out that if Goldfinger followed the same scheme as in the film, the players would merely head for Ford Knox, waiting for him to turn up. The adventures are really inventive and feature authentic-looking handouts stored within official-looking MI6 internal envelope. The Gamesmaster supplements were of high quality too. Thrilling locations provide off-the-shelf backdrops for scenarios such as a casino. The Villain supplement details some of the world-spanning organisations such as Smirsh. 
the key players and top assassins. Everyone's favourite was the Q manual, which featured gadgets and how to use them in the game. James Bond 007 was also supported by Avalon Hill's Heroes magazine, which featured design notes for the supplements, as well as gadgets, etc. And suddenly, in 1987, the licence was not renewed. No one's quite sure why, as the game was such a best-selling success. A Diamonds Are Forever supplement was in development, but was not completed as the licensees pulled the plug on new productions. Victory were allowed to sell the remaining stock, but they had to be redacted. The version I have is cut across the title page and a black marker pen has crossed out the line Enter the Victory Games World of... As James Bond 007 was no more. The rules have been retrofitted, whatever that means, into Classified, a system that works across a number of genres and is available on DriveThruRPG. You can pick up the old adventures on eBay as they crop up fairly regularly, priced around £20. As for Klug, well he teaches game design in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he has a design credit on Chaosium's forthcoming RuneQuest Adventures in Glorantha. As you'll come to see, no one else has done so much to innovate the percentile dice resolution system as Chris Klug. Surely there must be an appetite for the revival of James Bond 007. Maybe with the revival of the franchise and the resurgence of the hobby. The campaign starts here. Judge Blythe, rules! Welcome to the room of role-playing rambling to put James Bond 007 RPG in the dock. I'm joined by Judge Blythe. Hello, Blythe. Hello, Dirk. He's the man with the golden gavel with a licence to drill down into the finer parts of uh, the the game. So, before that, normally at this stage, Blighty, we put on our rose-tinted glasses, don't we? And look we back do, yeah. In the past yeah. of when we used to play the game. Mm. But we didn't play this one. We didn't play it. And I, I know why we didn't play it, at least from my perspective. Go on. Well, I remember seeing it. I'm sure I saw it in Games Workshop in Manchester. Even though I don't think it appeared in White Dwarf, did it? No, he never But, but I'm, sure, I'm sure I saw it in there, unless it's, a, unless it's a fake memory. But And I remember being put off by it because it was about the time when there was a lot of licensed stuff coming out. And I remember the Indiana Jones role-playing game where you were... Uh, you played Indiana Jones, yeah. And there was this joke that, oh, you played Indiana. You had to play Indiana Jones, or someone did, and they couldn't die. And I think there was a Doctor Who role-playing game where you played one of the Doctors, which all seemed a bit unappealing. You know, it wasn't quite Stormbringer. You didn't play in the world. You played the characters. And I remember looking at the James Bond game and thinking, oh, that'll just be another one of those games where you have to be James Bond. Yeah. And it just didn't appeal, and I kind of dismissed it out of hand. Yeah. It didn't have quite the same profile as well, because as you say, it didn't appear in White Dwarf, and no. that's where that's the well which we kept returning to. It was, to. That, that, yeah. that's the famous conduit of role-playing, isn't it? Yeah, the, for us anyway. All, all role-playing came through that. It, yeah. If you didn't get an endorsement there, then... Yeah, we were <laughs> brand conscious. <laughs> you get, wasn't endorsed by White Dwarf, we didn't want to know. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other thing is that I always think, I think because Avalon Hill 
always had a really terrible advertising, a terrible marketing. Mm. Um, yes. The way that they uh, portrayed games was really, really poor. Because yeah. um, we said about the Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes, you were instantly propelled into that world. Yeah. So that was like a desirable thing. With the James Bond one, they were neither, they did, you knew they were James Bond, but the illustrations, although the illustrations are, are all right, they're a bit like you might see on a fairground, you know, like a, a waltzer. It kind of looked like James Bond, but it didn't look like James Bond. Like, yeah, like doing a waltzer, is, is that Brad Pitt on that waltzer there? Yeah. Or, yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't quite look like him. Yeah. I think as well, the cover looks like something, uh, uh, you know, level art student might do uh, yeah. copied of copied from a James Bond poster badly yeah yeah but when we were when we started this uh, uh, podcast and listeners kept saying you must mm. do James Bond you must do James Bond mm. RPG a lot of people uh, spent yeah. most of their youth playing this yeah. this game so yeah. um, we'll look at it and What's your overall opinion? What looking at the rules? Well, uh, overall opinion is it is a it is a great system. It's a great system and it's a great game, and it does capture the sort of essence of James Bond, doesn't it? Um, and in, in a way, that that's kind of look back at. I look back. I'm reliving that moment in Games Workshop where I saw it on a shelf and thought, "Oh no, that looks rubbish." Yeah. Without even looking inside, I just just thought that looks rubbish. I bet you have to play James Bond. And now I regret that because it is a great game. Yeah. Um, so we've we've played it, haven't we? Recently, we've um, mm. been playing the Goldfinger um, scenario. That was the pre-written scenario. I've been playing that uh, in our lunch lunch times yes. when we can. Um, and it we have got. It. What surprised me is your enthusiasm for it because I think, as I said previously, you're not really taken with. The espionage and uh, no. uh, thriller genre in, in quite the same way as I am, but you, you have been quite enthusiastic to play it. Well, I think I'm enthusiastic because James Bond is, you know, James Bond. Is it espionage? Is it really? <laughs> is it is it a thriller? Is it is it really? No, they're action movies, aren't they? They're, yeah. they're action movies. I mean, yeah. They, they, yeah, he's a spy. He's not really a spy. He's more of an assassin, isn't he? But they're, they're more action movies, and I think the game captures that quite well and that's sort of why it's, it's enjoyable we've been accused of being very precious about um, the games that we cover but I, I'm going to share your effusiveness about this uh, game because mm. I loved it I, I think it's, yeah. it's good and although we've never played it um, it's legacy has been felt in some of the games oh, that yeah. we play now Definitely. so what are your top three rules top three rules yeah. I, I struggled with this I struggled to find three Often, when you ask me this question, I struggle to find the three that I like. <laughs> but I, I struggle to whittle it down to three Yeah, with uh, James Bond. Uh, because it is it's a very ingenious system. Uh, and has some really ingenious things in. Which, when you, when you consider... And I think, I think we need to set a bit of context here before yeah. we start talking about the rules. Because some of the things that impress me about it, people may think... Well, so what? Such a game's got that, and this game's got that, and this yeah. game's got that. But this was 1983, wasn't it? Yeah. This yeah. is 1983. The things that are in games now are in James Bond. They're there, aren't yeah. they, in 1983? Yeah. And I think it's partly down to the fact that uh, Chris Klug, when he was designing it, went from a point of view of, right, how, how do I emulate the story? Yes. 
yeah. absolutely and that that's where it kind of ties in with more modern role-playing games which are trying to tell stories and narrative and be more cinematic and that's why it sits sort of sits out to kilter with um the games of the time which were more about it's thought to be more like a war game weren't they yeah you know yeah. rather yeah. than a story so it's partly about stories but so yeah. Stop trying to evade the uh, question. What, what, <laughs> what? All right, you're going to try and tie me down to, to three, three, three rules. Three All rules, right. yeah. The, the three rules I've picked are hero points. Hero points, okay. Uh, ease ratings. Ease ratings. Ease ratings. And weaknesses. 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 Okay. So let's uh, talk about hero points. Okay. So, so what are the concepts of hero points? Well, concepts of hero points in James Bond uh, these are points that you acquire, which you can then spend throughout the course of the game to, uh, I think, re-roll things and offset more, more, more significantly. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's not so much a re-roll, but kind of give yourself advantageous conditions rather. Yeah. I think that's what you do with them. So you, you would, you know, if, you know, if odd job throws his hat at you, you can use a hero point to conditions that are favourable. A strong wind yeah. blow the hat out of the way. <laughs> yeah. And it, it comes down to um, we might go in a bit more depth with it, the quality of your result, isn't it? So it's a yes. percentile based yeah. system. So you're awarded hero points by having excellent quality results. So yes. if you roll, roll really low yeah. you'll get awarded a hero point because yeah. You've done really well. well. Or the games master can award them at their discretion if you've acted in a particularly yes. yeah. Um, yeah. heroic way. So it's like the Benny system. But again, what's really good about Hero Points is it, it's a good way. And this is this is what's great about the game. That all the rules kind of... This is why I struggled to get it down to three rules because they all kind of intertwine and fit together quite nicely. What Hero Points do really well is they deal with the problem of guns in role-playing games. Yes. Because one of the problems with a gun, particularly at the time, again, 1983, was that guns are quite deadly. In real life, guns... Really? That's a revelation. In real life, guns... Let's just establish that. If you're shot with a gun in real life, you're in trouble, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a problem in a role-playing game, isn't it? Because yeah. other, the other, you want a bit of shooting, like in a movie, but you don't want anyone to get killed apart from the bad guys. The kind of player character kind of mortality rate is quite high. So role-playing games, particularly at the time, had two two ways of doing it. One is make sure no one gets hit, yeah. or and Call of Cthulhu's guilty of this, isn't it? Mm. Guns just aren't that deadly. In, yeah. in Call of Cthulhu, you can be hit with a revolver. And it does a D10 damage. That means that means almost every character in Cthulhu can survive being shot. Now that seems ridiculous. But the reason they've done that, of course, is to make it not quite as deadly. So the mortality rate for piece player characters isn't quite as bad. But what hero points do in Bond, they allow you to offset the damage. So you can be shot, but you can lower the consequence by spending hero points. So it makes it more survivable. The bullets can start flying and the bullets are deadly. But because you've got hero points, if you've got any, you can offset that. And yeah. I think that's a really 
ingenious way of dealing with that problem. Because what it's saying is, these weapons are deadly, but because this is a movie, or is played like a movie, you can offset that. You can see a through line. So when you look at Top Secret, um, the way that it, it de- dealt with this kind of thing, it, like I said in the podcast when we covered um, Top Secret, it wants to be narrativist, but it's still got all the yeah. simulationist trappings, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. So as an optional rule, they've got the fame and fortune points to do a similar thing but it still doesn't seem quite satisfactory. No, it's not as slick, and I, and I think it doesn't, I think it was said at the time, it doesn't quite fit together that well and doesn't all kind of make sense and click in the way that James Bond rules no. do. In Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes, you've got the Megadeth Lux saving yes, role, yeah. which is intended to do a similar thing, to give yeah. you an opportunity when the bullets are flying yeah. to avoid them. But and, I su- and I suppose that that's what I mean about the, the thing about either with guns people reduce the damage they do Cthulhu style or they do that the mega death look saving throw thing which means you get a roll to avoid death yeah. but the problem with that is you fail the roll and die yeah. but I think uh, Mercenary Spies and Private Eyes is obviously built on a Tons and Trolls engine yeah. so it's, yeah. it's, it's really deadly it's still yeah. really deadly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think what what hero points serve here is that it does give you that ability to do emulation and there's some other little um, tweaks as well so if you're above a certain strength you've got an opportunity to shake off damage yeah so you know uh, when odd job gets hit in the face with a, a gold bullying bar um, he can <laughs> shake it off because he's strong enough yeah, you know? yeah. so yeah, sure. uh, there is that there's yeah. that uh, thing about that I think it's good that NPC villains also get the opportunity to use survival points with yes. their, their yeah. equivalent, because you do get that anticlimax, don't you? When you it, it, the idea is to offset that anticlimax, yeah. mm. where you save up all your resources for the villain, yes, and just go yeah. for it to get to eliminate them, and it kind of they're just gone in one blast. Yeah, well, the survival points give them a chance to a bit more resource to come back at you. Yeah, they do, and and you can see that, and you can see all that we've just talked about in so many modern role-playing games now, can't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that idea of a of a, like a damage track and fate, uh, and offsetting things in fate. Fifth edition D and D does it with uh, some of the big nasty monsters get kind of you know legendary actions where they can do things, they can just make a save, so they the. You know, first three legendary actions that can make a saving throw. So you cast a spell against a dragon, it can make the saving throw, irrespective of. And it's the same. It's the same thing, isn't it? Really, effectively, it's giving the big bad villain, you know, the dragon or yeah. the odd job or the scaramanga or the vampire, whichever game it is, that option as a games master of going, this is my big bad monster, big bad villain. They're not going to be able to defeat it straight off they're not going to get that lucky roll and go oh he's dead oh is he mm-hmm. that was a that was a climactic scene and you just got him with a lucky shot because yeah. he's got survival points yeah equally you've got hero points yeah that shot to the head becomes a shot to the shoulder yeah. you know that kind of thing yeah and that is, is really really clever really clever and it might not sound clever to people listening because they're all familiar with that kind of thing being in more modern role-playing games but yeah 1983 1983. 1983. I keep repeating that. 1983. There it is. Next up uh, is Ease Factor. Ease Factors. Yeah, Ease Ratings, Ease Factors. 
So in James Bond, um, tasks are given uh, an ease rating. Um, there's a kind of cross-reference. It's a bit like a resistance table in RuneQuest, isn't it? Basic role-playing. So you look at your uh, skill level or stat level, and you look at the ease rating or ease factor of the, uh, the task, cross-reference it, and it gives you a percentage chance of doing it. Yeah. So the games master gives you an ease rating and allows allows a bit of flexibility in terms of the challenge. So I'm cheating a bit here because I'm picking on a few rules in one. But within ease ratings, you've got uh, degrees of success as well, haven't you? So a double O agent doing something easy might have, according to the table, a hundred and fifty percent chance of doing it. Yeah. Which at first glance seems silly. When you look at it, you think, well, that's a bit daft. But of course, you roll the percentile dice and there's a degree, there's another table, isn't there, that gives a degree of success within that. Yeah. It stands on the shoulders of RuneQuest mm. in that it, even though it's presented as a table, essentially, it's a multiplication, isn't it, of an attribute. Yes, so basically, yeah. Skills are presented as a, a figure that's a fifth if yeah. you like yeah, yeah. of, of yeah. what it should be so instead of a, a, to get a percentage you have to multiply them and that's what the ease factor is so yeah. a standard one will be five and then you can uh, move it down on a scale depending on on, on on it but it's the quality of the result that really mm. matters so if you get below half the result then it's uh, a, a, if you get over half the result or under it it's um, adequate and then there's like degrees up to excellent yeah so it's like your critical or special yeah. attack, isn't it? But I think this works really well because it allows um, really good characters, so double O agents, yeah. superior characters, yeah. to have um, a bit of jeopardy. A bit of jeopardy, yeah. And, and it also, yeah, it, it does do that because there's that problem with basic role-playing that a percentage is a percentage is a percentage. So if you're 70% at doing something, you roll it, you've done it, or you've not. You've done it or you've not. Yeah. There was no qualitative thing. I mean, there was there were critical roles, yeah. but generally speaking, there was no qualitative thing. Whereas, in actual fact, someone who was 90% at something, surely there's something between the 9% threshold criticals and the 90, there should be some extra degrees of success or, yeah. or quality. And of course, what it also allows you to do, it allows you to do. And this, this, is, this is amazing. 1983, amazing. <laughs> It allows opposed roles. Yes. It allows opposed opposed roles. So you can you can go pit yourself against an NPC, and you can both succeed, but you look at the quality of that success against each other. Yeah. I mean that. That is that, amazing, isn't it? It's <laughs> amazing. It, and it works really well in it play, does. doesn't it? Yeah. So in our game, we had a game of golf. Yeah, it's a golf finger. Yeah, yeah. A good RPG spoiled, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I don't play golf. But we played the entire uh, rounds, didn't we? we played yeah. eighteen holes. Yeah, yeah. It got quite tense. Didn't it got it? quite tense. Yeah, because you, you you both did it, but of course, the diff varying qualities. Yeah. So you both managed to get the ball in the hole in the end, but there was a different different number of strokes. Just like golf. Yeah. Well, each each hole was given a, an ease factor. Yeah. And then you had like the opposed. It was an role. opposed role. Yeah. And the other bit that works really well because if, if that was in basic role playing in, in RuneQuest or in Call of Cthulhu, the expectation would be would be that you'd have a 
um, a golf skill. And you as a character yes. would only have that as a basic. Yes. So it would be a basic plus whatever modifiers you yeah. had. Yeah. Mm. The way it works in Bond is, because it's based on your attribute of um, uh, dexterity, Goldfinger played golf. It was in his... It, it, yeah. So you had a penalty. So you had mm. a minus three on your ease factor. Yeah. But because you had a good dexterity, you still had a, a fighting chance. Yes. To, you were... Yeah. It, it fairly evenly matched mm. because you're a double O you're agent. You're a double agent, yeah, of course you are. Yeah. 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 So you, you're always better than yeah. your opponent. Yeah, absolutely. And and it is that thing, as I say, if it was basic role playing or anything else, you would you would have, back in the day, we would have been scratching our heads about how to do it because we would have said, right, okay, um, you've both got a golfing skill. <laughs> I mean, mind you, I say that. When we were 12 or 13, we wanted to kill monsters, not play golf. But we'll put that, set that aside for now. Set that aside. Um, you would have rolled the golf skill and both succeeded and gone, oh, oh I don't know what, what to do then. Um, or both failed and gone, oh, I don't know what yeah. to do with that either. It's a draw. But, of course, opposed rolls are the answer. There's, there's degrees of success. Yeah. I think it's important to mention about this point that you don't have to play a double O agent either, do you? No, no, you don't. I mean, you, if you're a double O agent, you're pretty good, but you can play a rookie, so you, you don't have to play a Bond-style character. Yeah. The other thing about ease uh, factors as well uh, comes down to uh, chases, and I think this works really well, um, mm. is the chase rules, because that's that's a bit that sometimes um, role-playing games struggle with, and yeah, uh, yeah. there's a whole chapter in... Seventh edition uh, called Cthulhu to do with chases, mm. and um, this deals with it in a really interesting way. I think the way that it deals with um, action is interesting as well. So it's, this is related because um, if you're the fastest, then you have to declare what you're doing in a turn, the mm. last. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, it has a statement of intent round, so you have to say what you're doing in a round. But if you're the fastest, you get to hear what everybody else is doing yeah, first, yeah. Yeah. Mm. which I think is really good. So you d you act first, but you know what everybody else is going to do. And I, I think mm. that's good because sometimes when you have initiative systems, yes. being the last... You being the last can, can be, be an a strange type of advantage, can't it? Or, yeah. yeah. If you're not in the thick of battle... And not being hit first, you, it's good to go last because you can see what's happened. And way that it uses um, um, ease factors in chases is that each so the the um, games master and the PCs will bid for the manoeuvre they're going to make. Mm. So you say you're driving, and you'll say what which ease factor um, you, you're going to going to use. And uh, the lowest gets to decide whether they are going to lengthen the gap or close the gap. Yeah. Um, so if you went for a real low ease factor, you still have to roll on it, but you get to uh, choose on it. And mm. uh, the, the advantage could be uh, uh, felt, felt that way. That bidding system appears in Knights Black Agents. Yeah, it does. It, yeah. yeah. That, that chase bid system. Um, it, it, but I think, I think Ken Hyatt acknowledges the fact that mm. it was nicked but yeah. um, you can see that it's, it, 
it, the innovations were there in 1983. This was <laughs> yes, it's 1983. Believe it or not, yeah, it is. And again, I remember at the time. I you know there may have been games around that, that did these things, but the games we played, chases were were always a problem, weren't they? Because because it's just that room quest movement eight whatever it is, eight or something. You know, well, I don't know, what do we do here with chase? It's all a bit awkward. Yeah. And yet, in actual fact, chases should be exciting, shouldn't they? Yeah. If you decide to run away from a big, horrible monster, that should be an exciting thing, because the big, horrible monster try and catch you. Yeah. You know, the villains in the car in James Bond, they're going to try and catch you, aren't they? A lot most, I mean, some of the greatest scenes in James Bond are chases, aren't they, where he's being chased? You know, Spy Love Me, the helicopter. I have to say... That this ease ease factor and the way that it deals with percentages is brilliant. Yeah, it is brilliant. Mm. Weaknesses. Okay. So final rule. Final like. rule. Um, in character creation, which which we'll talk about in a minute, um, you can pick weaknesses. So Bond's weakness. It, it works on the principle that Bond's weakness in the films and the books is women. So he's, he's a... Women. Women. He, uh, he falls for women, doesn't he? So femme fatales kind of sometimes get one over on him slightly. Yeah. Um, so, but there are, in the book, in the, in the, in the game, there's a, there's a range of other weaknesses, phobias, all sorts of things that, you know, you can pick. And, and again, 1983, 1983, this idea of, of picking, choosing weaknesses... The idea yeah. that your character has weaknesses and failings, uh, kind of quite a radical idea at the time, wasn't it? Because most role-playing games, that was the last thing you wanted. Weakness is a part of it. You, you know, you, you encourage to have certain failings that the games master can exploit uh, and develop as part of your narrative. And the incentive at character creation stage is that you get more points to yeah. allocate yeah, on yeah. your skills. So yeah. if you take on one or more weakness you get yeah. a few hundred extra points to allocate yeah, amongst your allocate. skills yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah and i do i do think again it is really really interesting and yeah innovative rule the other thing that it brings to it um, which is something that we kept kept cropping up when we were playing is by having individual character weaknesses it means that you don't fall into the trap of playing bond Yes, because that is a that is a slight problem. If you're playing double O agent, you, you I think at various points we get referring to my character as Bond, but he's not. He wasn't no, James Bond. He's double we didn't want three. that, did we? We didn't yeah. want that. No. But you do. There is that problem with it that you do end up thinking you're playing James Bond, even despite despite what I said right at the beginning about yeah. <laughs> dismissing it because I thought, well. Well, you know, I don't want to play James Bond. I want to play my own character. Well, actually, I did end up playing James Bond. But to have, <laughs> but to have a, a selection of weaknesses that um, are not like James, James Bond. Bond. Yeah, because he's almost defined that weakness with women is is a defining feature of Bond, isn't it? So picking, I mean, you can pick that one, but picking something else it does kind of move you or positions yeah. your character away from Bond. You know. So we've talked about the things that you liked. What about things that you don't like? There's not much I don't like about it, to be honest. But one thing I did find slightly tedious was the character creation system. Because uh, it's a points-based system. You get a lot of points. Well, I think you we, get, you I think get, as a double A, a, a yeah. 
you have the choice of being a rookie, an agent, or a double O agent. Yeah. As a double O agent, you get 9,000 points to distribute. It's a lot of points. Yeah. And, and it gets a bit boring. You don't know the upper limits of things. So you think, well, what do I do with this 9,000 points now? Do I... Do I put loads and loads of points on some things and not much on others? Do I do I divvy them up evenly? And I think at the end of the process, I was just going, oh, look, how many have I got left? Divide that. How many skills have I got? Right, I've got another 15 skills. Let's divide that by 15. Yeah, let's just bung 25 on each. To yeah. hell with it. So it gets a bit, a little bit dull, I think, yeah. because there's nothing wrong with point systems, but it's a lot of points to distribute. And that I found that a little bit... I've, I think one of, one of the um, difficulties with it is that although it gives you fields of experience, so it, this is an optional rule, you can have um, a set of um, skills or um, abilities that you don't have to roll for, um, they're just within your field of uh, knowledge. So if you've been in the Royal Navy, for example, uh, you'll have um, awareness of political science, which I think your character does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it doesn't really give you any guidance on what level you should set your skills at. Exactly. So you just, you just unless you've played the game, um, I mean, the more you play it, the more you'd understand, I suppose, what, what is a good yeah. level and what isn't. But you do sort of think, I don't know what the upper end of things is or the lower end of things. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't seem instinctive. So when, when you get a game that says stats range between 3 and 18 you think okay 18 is brilliant 3 is dreadful I know where I'm standing but it doesn't really do that the double O agents you get you can allocate a lot of points to your stats can't you yes yeah whereas rookies you, you don't get as many so yeah I, I don't know you do, I think it's just that problem of being awash with points to divvy up and you think, oh, well, I don't know. Should I? Should I have? The, should that one be twenty, or should it be thirty? I can make it thirty because I've got lots of points. But does that really matter? Oh, I don't know. Oh God! Try you drove me a bit bonkers. Whenever we've had points allocation, you've not liked it. You don't like. You don't like it in nice packages. It's like the gumshoe thing either. I think you and Eddie got a bit worn down by right. How many have we got left? And that kind of thing. Yeah, you do. I think. I think you do. It's that thing of agonising over it. <laughs> and yeah, at the same time not really knowing whether it makes such a big difference. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? 45. I'll say, well, I'll have it at 45%. <laughs> I don't know. So one of the reasons why you ended up with um, a lot of points is because you played a double O agent. Yes. And we should point out that it is really good for one-on-one -on -one play. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is always a difficulty, isn't it, in these kind of games, in spy games, because you know, very rarely would you get... A, t a team does doesn't feel right sometimes when you're infiltrating somewhere one-on-one yeah. um, -on -one play works really well with this um, and it, again it's a pity we didn't find it in 1983 because of all it those is, times absolutely well, we, because you do I think when you play it you think it, it's a game oddly that wouldn't work with four or five players would it I don't no. know how you would play it with four or five because as agents secret agents they don't go around in groups of four or five do they they, no. they tend to operate as in solitary or, or maybe another player you could probably stretch it to two but even when you get three you, you're pushing it a bit aren't you Wouldn't well, well look at the adventure that we did uh, the uh, Goldfinger one mm. there's a requirement um, to play golf with Goldfinger yeah so while you're playing golf with Goldfinger, what's everybody else what's doing? What's everyone else doing? There's five of you. If there was another player, you could say, all right, both of you are going to play golf. But certainly if you had four or five players, 
you're right what would they be doing yeah it doesn't quite work but 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 you're absolutely right back in the day when it was just me and you and we couldn't find anyone to play with it would have been a great game wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah 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 just goes to show that don't dismiss don't don't do your role playing book game by its cover yeah. i think is the message there isn't it i dismissed it at a tender age of whatever i was then 13 14 and really i should have picked it up and bought it because it would have been a great game it is is a really good system really well put together innovative you know influential yeah absolutely influential you know you just read it and you see modern role playing games springing from it weaknesses it's like trouble like yeah. trouble in fate isn't it yeah. exactly the same thing really yeah. yeah pick a weakness the same way in fate you always pick a trouble don't you problem you know yeah. very very good game well we've talked about the theory we don't normally do this but let's see what it's like in play in practice so here's a, a, an extract from one of our play sessions I'll see you on the other side bye <laughs> Okay, that was uh, Shirley Bassey there for our uh, the Welsh division of the Grog Squad. Uh, hope they enjoyed that. And uh, we're going to do a bit of actual play. Okay, Blythe? Okay, I'm ready. Actual play. And this is actually our second session of James Bond 007, Goldfinger. Do you want to introduce your character to begin with? Yes, he's Jason Forge. He's 003. He's 003. I picked 003, hoping that 003 in the movies... 003 wouldn't have been one of the bonds that's referred to as being killed but he is yes I've since found out he is I'm, I think it might be uh, the living daylights He's, there's always one double O agent referred to in M's office as being killed being found dead and they bring bond in to sort it out I suspect this may go the same way <laughs> <laughs> they're going to need to get 007 so. in aren't they <laughs> so uh, as a uh, you were a member of the Royal Navy weren't you prior to he was special forces special, special forces a bit, a bit like Bond himself he was yeah. he was a Navy and guy, I wasn't he I, I think we said that um, he's actually part of a a secret organisation within the secret service he's a secret within a secret within a secret um, a group in the upper echelons who were trying to revive room 39 from the admiralty so mm. that, that was actually dissolved in the 60s uh, when everything was centralised yes. uh, but this is set in the early 80s and there's a group of um, people within the navy who have set up this and you've been a, you've been monitoring um, Soviet activity prior yeah. to getting your double O status I'd had a round I've been, been given the job of finding out what Oric, Arik, Oric, Oric, Goldfinger is up to. Yeah, that's what right. What his nefarious plans are. And I'd gone to his country club, hadn't I, um, for a round of golf with him, which I think I'd won by cheating, much like Bondles in the film, actually. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think he, he was off to South Africa, wasn't he? Doesn't he have... Um, yes. He has gold mines in South Africa, doesn't he? And he was yeah. off to them, and I think my, my plans were to follow him there. 
Yeah. So um, Money Penny had uh, found out that there was actually a chartered flight mm-hmm. uh, where he was taking his Rolls Royce and his entourage, yes. and it was the pilot was one Ms. P. Galore. P. Galore, yes. And well, of course, uh, she is. yeah, so so you've been asked by this uh, Colonel Martin Smithers from the. Uh, the Bank of England, mm. to investigate <clears throat> Goldfinger's activities because it would take a particular interest in monitoring new gold mines yes. at the Bank of England because of the way that the exchange rate is set through the gilts, etc. Mm. And so uh, they're conscious of this activity. And M has suggested that there may be more criminal activity because if you remember, they'd sent... A member of Scotland Yard on this tale. Oh yes. Yeah. And he's been he's been killed, hasn't he? He has been killed. Been killed. Along with his associate, Jill Masterson. Yes. Who was a former personal assistant of Goldfinger, who was killed by being smothered in gold paint. Okay. Probably looks good that, but seems a rather ineffective way of trying to kill somebody. Yeah. But there you go. I don't know what the role would be, but. But the role to kill someone with with gold paint would be <laughs> several roles. Attack, what's your attack with a paintbrush? <laughs> so, uh, this is your for you, you're heading for Johannesburg. Yeah. And um, I, have I got my uh, car? Is it DB three? Yeah, your DB five. DB five. DB five with all okay. its accessories yeah. is being taken to South Africa at enormous taxpayers' expense. Yes. Uh, for this mission. What's your what's your intentions as you go into the bustling city of uh, Johannesburg? What 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 do you want to find well, out? Do, first? I, do I know where his um, gold mines are? He's, he's a legitimate open business, isn't he? You you've got a contact with in the CIA, uh, Felix Leiter, and yeah. he's putting you in. He can put you in touch with handlers within Johannesburg CIA handlers within, uh, so oh, okay. you can get some All intel. Right. Yeah, I'll do. All right, I'll do that first. Though. You, you put in touch with um, a woman um, by the name of uh, Call Me Andale. Call Me Andale. Call Me Andale. Andale. Yeah. Call Me Andale. Yeah, that's her name. Call Me. I think it's a good Bond name. I thought it was a Call really Me Andale. Yeah. Go on. And she uh, arranges to meet you okay. at the Johannesburg Planetarium. So she enters quite a striking, looking uh, woman, power dress, you know, eighties power dress. Yeah, yeah. I think in true Bond style, he should, he should try and charm her, shouldn't he? I think we got a seduction. You're not trying to seduce her, but I think he would, he would try and charm her, perhaps. So you're going to what? What's your seduction rating? Sedu- <laughs> seduction rating is seventeen. Seventeen. Oh, you charm her. Oh well, well oh, it's, it's one of his lowest ratings. Actually, he's not very charming. <laughs> but no, seventeen seduction. That, that's that's quite good. So. I'll say at this early stage, so I'll make a first impression. How are you going to approach it? I don't want you to seduce me, but how would you approach? How are you going to approach? I'm the certainly not. I wouldn't seduce you in an actual play that's going to be broadcast. I'll leave that for private moments. Call me and dial. <laughs> I spent ages coming up with that name. Go on. You, you make, have you come up with that? Yeah, name? yeah. You've come up with that name. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Call me. Call, call me. <laughs> Spelt. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Oh, well, what, I just... <laughs> <laughs> what, oh dear. Um, a code name. A code word. I don't know. The stars look 
particularly beautiful tonight. It's a planetarium, isn't it? Is it is, yeah. That's what he's going to say. Okay. So she kind of sits in the row before you mm. and um, above, above you. They're kind of running the film and it's kind of yeah. dark in there. Yeah. The consolation of Orion. I think so. Are you going to whisper? I should whisper that in her ear, yeah. The stars look particularly beautiful. I'll give you an ease factor 10 then. Uh, okay. On your seduction. Ease factor 10 against my. So on this table, I've got 17. Yeah. There's a 170% chance. Okay. But there you go. It's, it's not as simple as that, is it? No, it's the quality of it. It's the quality of it. Oh, 10. Mm. 10. So that's. Uh, she wants to marry me. That's excellent. <laughs> She's all starry eyed. She is starry eyed. <laughs> she get, uh, the side of her mouth kind of gives a little upturn. <laughs> I've heard of your charms, Mr. Forge. What is it that you want to know? Orrick Goldfinger. What do you know about him? And. She she goes and explains that he has opened up a, a mine in the uh, outskirts of Johannesburg. Mm. About three months ago, they started to um, drop the mine. And she's got contacts within, and there's a certain degree of frustration, the Chamber of Mines, that he doesn't seem to be cooperating. Okay. In what sense? Well, normally they would send their inspectors to look at her, right? Okay. And he hasn't allowed them to go there. And they've insisted on it. And she says a name, um, she says a name, uh, Lord Justly, uh, who's one of the directors of the Chamber of Mine. Do a... They've been secretive about what he's up to. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, let's just do a, a field of experience. You've probably, you've got that political... Yeah. I've got a political, political science. It's one of his fields of experience, yeah. Yeah, so you don't need to roll for okay. a, field of, yeah. a field of knowledge. So when you hear that name of Lord Justly, you, you realise that he has got connections with the Bank of England. So, um, okay, yeah. So clearly... Um, there's there's something odd about it. He's keeping this, in, his, in essence, this gold mine. He's not letting people in. He's not being transparent no. and open in the way that one would imagine which suggests he's got something to hide, doesn't it? Is that all she knows? Um, she also said that, that she, he's caused some upset locally because he hasn't recruited anybody to work there from the local population, that he's using his own people. Uh, it's not one idea on my head. I was thinking maybe trying to get a job there. Hmm, that is strange, isn't it? That, that suggests even more that he's got something to hide. What does she think? Does she have any idea of what he, uh, what she thinks he's trying to hide? Does she have any theories? Are there any theories knocking about that she's heard? The image clicks and it starts to show uh, above your head the picture of the formation of the Earth, the molten core and the uh, host planet suite. Yes. <laughs> um, and she says until, um, until she was contacted, she'd, uh, she knew of Eric. Uh, golfing because of his reputation and his business interest in the US but she didn't realise that he ha he moved into South Africa do you want to progress the seduction? do you want to what, what kind of 
level do you want to take this to? Well, he's not. No, it's the thing is, he's not James Bond, is he? He, he, one of his weaknesses, actually, his weaknesses, he's got a moral code. So I don't think, you know, I don't think he would necessarily, he wouldn't seduce her, would he? No, just going to keep it business. Yeah, yeah, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't. He's trying, he's trying to charm her to get something out of her, but you know, there it is in, on the character sheet, moral code, honour. So I, I don't think he is like James Bond, is he? Okay. She kind of gives you a, her number, okay. um, where she can be contacted in yeah. case you have. Any difficulties? Yes. Okay. I think a bit of surveillance is in order. Let's let's see if we can get close to this gold mine and see what's going on. So you're gonna uh, how are you gonna approach it? You're gonna take the uh, DB5. Of course, yes, yeah. The least conspicuous car in South Africa. He's gonna take the DB5. <laughs> yes, he is. Because um, that's what that's what these people do. He's gonna take that and uh, get a map. Buy a map figure out where the gold mine is, drive up there, you know, binoculars, that kind of thing. It's got kind of mid-afternoon, mid late mid-afternoon, and then if, it, if nothing much going on, he might stay into the night and see what's happening at night. Okay, well, you conceal the DB5 off the main road. Climb um, to get, like, a vantage point um, to where you can see it. It's, it's signposted, this, like, mm. there's, there's been no attempt to... Uh, conceal it. There's like a, a yeah. road that's yeah. been built uh, yeah. within yeah. the last. It's a gold uh, mine. Is it? It's a gold mine. Gold yeah. mine. Yeah. Um, and and what you can see is um, it's in a valley. You can see like a, a cliff face in which three entrances have been created. Okay. And from the entrances, you can see that there are um, rail. Mm. obviously bringing uh, trucks and things but the whole place the whole compound is like several buildings two large buildings that the tracks seem to um, go into um, which are surrounded by mounds of rubble mm. so whatever they're extracting they, they, it's around there you can see uh, gas cylinders like big gas cylinders mm. uh, mounted and um, to the other side, it looks like longer buildings, probably living quarters. Um, it looks like a, a, a garage for vehicles with uh, petrol pumps outside, gas pumps outside. And um, near, near to the main gate, because the whole place is surrounded by two parallel fences, you know, so yeah. chain link fences about 50 feet high and you can see that there's speakers on each post and um, at night they must have like uh, floodlights, they must yeah. floodlight this area yeah. um, and there's a main gate, and near the main gate looking very incongruous amongst the um, prefabricated building for English Cottage for all intents and purposes it could be from Herefordshire mm. You know, it's kind of a uh, <laughs> yes. Right, yeah. You know, it, it's it, it it's been built. Uh, it's um, is the Rolls Royce parked outside? There's no sign of the Rolls Royce, but what you can see uh, at the moment, we've got uh, through the screen. You can see those like two uh, like looking through a binoculars. Yeah. You, know, <laughs> yeah. you can see that is patrolled by um, guards. Do you want to do a perception roll? I think you now you've suggested it. I do. Uh, I'm going to give you an ease factor 3 for this. So, so perception's 14, ease factor 3. 
Because uh, just for the distance that you're doing. Oh, yeah, that's quite difficult. That's 42% chance. Yeah, because you're some distance away okay. from uh, from the place. So let's see okay. whether you can pick up. Oh, 29. 29. Mm. So that's. Uh, what was your. What was 42. 42. Yeah. 29. So that's a, an acceptable result. It's, it's, it's acceptable to me. 42% chance. And from that acceptable result, you can see that the guards are Korean. Okay. And they seem to be armed with Uzis. Okay. Hmm. Is there any way? I'm just looking at my skills here. I mean, I've got science as a skill. Um, is there any way of ascertaining whether this looks like a legitimate gold mine as in the, the the structure of it the setup the rubble the gas cylinders that does does it look like a, a gold mine as opposed to something something that they're pretending is a gold mine but, but there's a nonsense to what's going on if that makes sense you know is there a way of perhaps doing a roll to check you know whether it looks kosher Okay, what's your science at? My science is 20. That will cover, I don't know whether that would cover um, the mining practices, I don't know. Yeah, I've got I'll a demolition skill as well. But that's I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you science uh, yeah. to, uh, as a, as a role to okay. see whether, you know, every, everything you can see in front of you, so this mm. scene you can see in front of you, does it add up to a legitimate... Legitimate scene? gold mine. Yeah, all right. That's 20 me skill in that. Um, and I'm going to say it's an East Factor 5, so you've got a good chance of doing it. Uh, 100%. 100%. This, but obviously, there's a degree of success, isn't there, with it? Yeah. Okay. 38. A good result. Mm -hmm. So, everything about it seems kosher and things. So, the rubble piles probably showed that, you know, it's rock taken from the mine. Yeah. Um, and these look like um, refineries. So these two larger buildings uh, where the carts go into. They're kind of sifting out the gold. They're the sifting, sifting out yeah. the gold. They're kind of long, so they, that would indicate to you that you know what they're doing is smelting. Thing. However, mm -hmm. there's something unusual about um, the one furthest to the north. But the larger of the two. Yeah, the larger of the two. You, there's, there's something not quite right about it. And how many people are on site? Uh, from what you can see, there's about um, seven or eight. From what you can see, oh right. But well, there's e but there's evidence there that there's, there's a lot. Could more. be more. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Are the fences electrified? Anything like that? Um, I'll let you do another perception check okay. um, to see if there's any. So you're looking specifically for clues to see. Yeah, whether. to see whether the fences are electrified or whether you can just cut cut through them if you you know. The wire fences, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, go on. Okay. What's the what's the ease factor? I'd say it's a, f a five. Because you know you've got binoculars. Seventy percent right. chance. Seventy percent chance. Twenty nine. Twenty nine. You're doing very well. You do very well now. This is always the way, isn't it? Till the bullets start flying <laughs> <laughs> really badly. And uh, you can see that this outer perimeter fence. So there's mm. two fences. The outer perimeter fence is it's kind of got covered in uh, foliage. It's got it's got um, ivy growing up the side of it, which might be useful for concealing yourself. Um, 
as you as you approach it, but you can you can actually see that there are hazard signs saying that it is electrified. Okay. Hmm. Tricky. So, what's your plan? I think I want to get in there when night falls, but um, it's just the electric fence, isn't it? That's the problem. Come on, forge, think. <laughs> <laughs> you're, a, you're a double O agent. Not a double O agent, it's an electrical fence. You, you, have you got electronics? Cool. I've got, yeah, I think I might have actually. Yes, I have. 18. Yeah, is there a way of kind of short circuiting it? There must be, must yeah. Of course, of course, the mystery is it's James Bond. What am I doing? Sorry, I apologise. I defaulted to the real world then. I'm thinking, oh, that's a bit of a bummer, isn't it? There's an electric fence. No, I'll, um, I'll, with a view to diffusing the electric fence, short circuiting it, cut my way through when night falls. You're going to wait till nightfall? Yes, okay. let's do it. Put the black roll neck on. Yes, of course. Of course. A bit of uh, boot. Polish on your face? I think so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just to, absolutely. Just to conceal yourself. Set the look off properly. <laughs> a black woolly hat? Black woolly hat. I think I'll stop at the duck on my head. Like in, uh, <laughs> is it... <laughs> it is floodlit, this okay. place. They've, yeah. got, they've got lights. Yeah. So I'll go to the fence and try and uh, diffuse it. Diffuse it? Short circuit it? Got fired fences. You can just hear the insects on the cicatas. <laughs> <laughs> You kind of uh, okay. move over the move over. I've got my gun. I've got gun on me, um, and I've got some wire cutters and um, electrical stuff for silencer on your gun. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll try and short, the short circuit the. So you can see that there's several wires, ones that control the lights, ones that control the uh, alarm system. Yeah. And one that control the fencing. Okay, so what are you going to do? Disable the fence. Disable the electricity. Okay. Then it's cut cut through the two. Cut through, and I, I suppose <laughs> check for traps. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to have a look at the land between the two fences, as if there's nothing nasty there. Yeah. They've okay. not got a minefield in it or something like that. Okay. And I give that a quick look as I cut through the first fence, slip through, and then just look at the ground between where I am and the next fence, the second fence. Okay. And just do an electronics roll to see whether you successfully disarm the fence. Oh no! And what? it's going to be uh, an ease factor three. Three. Yeah. So again, it's Don't the same. this game. That's only a fifty-four percent chance. Oh God! So you uh, you've got your electronics kit and you're going to defuse it. <laughs> Ninety six. <laughs> Do you know what? I've tried to seduce what's you call <laughs> call me and dial. She slapped me face. I've been fine with it. Well, now I'm going to be electrocuted. Power surge, <laughs> and some of the lights burst. Some of the floodlights around this area. Okay. I'm going to roll a perception roll to see whether they spot you. All right. Do I get anything to offset it? What am I? I think that's stealth or yeah. stealth. Yeah, I've got stealth. stealth twenty-four. Yeah. Well, let's do a let's match. Yeah. Your, match that. Yeah. My yeah. Stealth so you roll first. Okay. 
And so this is like an opposed role. Okay. So depending on your success. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to say it's an ease factor five. So Actually, no, I'm going to give you more than that. I'm going to give you ease factor six because you've taken the trouble to find a bit of a blind spot there. Yes, thank you. Okay. Right, so 144% chance. So yeah. what do I want lower? I want lower, don't I? Yeah. The, the lower the better. Lower the better, yeah. Because it depends on... Oh, 96 again. 96? Again? Okay, it's still a success, but you've got to offset it against there. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, and I'm going to conceal this. Okay. Okay. So the, the lights have burst. Are you going to continue cutting through? Oh, no, you can't, because you've not... You, it's still electrified. You can it's have another it's go. Electrified. I think I'll have another go. <laughs> yeah, have another go. <laughs> yeah. So you don't know whether they've alerted, been alerted to it. Oh, zero seven. Yes. Zero seven. Yes. yes. So you found it. This. Okay. It was the red wire. It was the red wire, not the green wire. Always is, isn't it? Because that's that's a, an excellent result. Thank you very much. Okay. You managed to short it and managed to de-electrify both fences. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What I'll do when I'm through, I shall head towards the larger of the two buildings, the one that looks suspicious. Okay. You in? Jason Forge discovered that the mine was phony, a front for Goldfinger's smuggling operation, and a dastardly plan to contaminate South African gold seams with radiation, thereby increasing the scarcity and the value of his own gold collection. Starburst Memories! And this is the part of the show where we reflect on the influence of books, TV and movies on our gaming. I've got Blindy with me in Dirt Towers, purpose-built cinema. He's eating on some nachos and licking on his cheesy fingers. Hello, Blindy! Hello, Dirk! Now, let's uh, talk about Bond. Because Bond is like an essential part of our uh, childhood. It was built mm. into the rituals, yeah. family rituals, wasn't yeah. it? So not only the big blockbuster in the summer, but on Boxing Day... You know, everybody would sit around their TV and watch yeah. reruns of Doctor uh, It, it stems from an era when there was nothing on TV yeah. of any interest. So James Bond was a high point, wasn't it? Yeah. So what's your earliest memory of uh, a Bond film? Then? The, the, one, the first one I genuinely remember enjoying and kind of understanding what was going on, I think, was Live and Let Die. But prior to that, I remember watching James Bond films and not knowing what was going on. Yeah. I was a bit too young. I remember watching like Thunderball or You Want to Live Twice, that kind of thing, on the TV and enjoying it because it was spies and car chases and people being shot, but not really knowing what the hell was going on. Well, it's the same now, isn't it? I mean, well, it is a bit, it you've is seen a, Quantum of Solace. I've seen Quantum of Solace. <laughs> what, what's happening? There's nothing, nothing much has changed, but I, I suppose Live and Let Die um, was the first one where I kind of grasped what was going on, yeah. to at least to, to a greater or lesser degree. <laughs> Whereas prior to that, like Doctor Noah, I remember thinking, what's the one with the, with the, the volcano and the base in the volcano? Is that You Only Live Twice? Yeah, I think it is. I remember yeah. thinking that was great as a kid, where they all go into the base and they have this big fight, don't they? But, yeah. but I, I remember thinking, I'm assuming about six or seven years old, so I don't know what's going on. Yeah. What's going on? Well, I used to, I, in the same way that um, Doctor Who was a big thing for you, wasn't it? You yes. were a big yeah, Doctor yeah. Who. Bond has always been mm. part of my kind of, you know, 
staple of uh, yeah that's of, why we have to do podcasts on it yeah well, we won't do one on Doctor Who will we no <laughs> we won't <laughs> so sometime we might do but, uh, but the we won't <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah it's part, part of uh, part of my DNA and uh, see I remember going seeing uh, Spy Who Loved Me at the cinema when it came out I think I saw it at the cinema that one. I think that might yeah. be the first one I saw at the cinema because yeah. there was a big um it, it, it was a, there was a big fuss about it, wasn't there? And I remember having the Lotus car, a toy car, which oh, yeah. was fired missiles. Kept losing the missiles, you know. Yeah. They were quite volatile. They were, they were, they were, they were, they were best than real missiles. Kim yeah. Jong Un could learn a thing or two from those uh, <laughs> cars. <laughs> Take me out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and but I see. I remember coming back from watching that film, and I could, I must say, it came out in '77, I think, or so it was nine, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. And I remember producing my own booklet. Um, my own pass um, with my uh, license to kill yeah and I kind of held it up in school I think that's it I scared a few people because my dad used to have <laughs> my dad used you to still have still do the, pa- <laughs> the paperbacks <laughs> the paperbacks and it used to have the thing of you know it gives you a license to kill and I copied it I, yes and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I like to think that was my first play handout that, you yes. know, it was quite an authentic uh, yeah I remember you, you, had, you did have the books didn't you the novels yeah and, uh, you'd read a few of us yeah I had an un- unhealthy interest in it <laughs> unhealthy interest <laughs> <But> anyway <laughs> so listeners have told us that in, uh, in the past um, they've enjoyed the AD&D Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Advanced Dungeons and Dragons uh, episodes where we had a spell off yes we had a monster off yes and now we're going to have a villain off. Okay. A villain off. Villain that, sounds like a, that sounds like a Bond villain. It does. Villain it off. Does, does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they always have names like that, don't they? And it, it always begs the question, doesn't it? That, did they become bad, the villains? They were given a name Because like they're that. giving it, like Goldfinger. Yeah, it's called Goldfinger. He's obsessed with gold. Yeah. He's called Goldfinger. So... But did, did, did it, was he named Goldfinger and they thought I'm going to be obsessed with gold yeah. or did he change his name by Deadpool to Goldfinger yeah because yeah, he's obsessed with gold yeah yeah was he born but there's no suggestion he's changed his name is no, there no. I don't think there's any suggestion he's changed his name yeah. he's called Goldfinger it's like Trump isn't it yeah Trump Trump he owns a load of casinos he's got an obsession with gold weird blonder and I bet he cheats at golf. Yeah. To be fair, the world is now run by Bond villains. <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump's like a Bond villain. Kim Jong-un's like a Bond villain. Putin's Putin. a bit like a Bond villain. <laughs> we're run by Bond villains now, you know. And actually, the, we're going to discuss Bond villains, but it's fair to say those real Bond villains are all slightly more preposterous than real <laughs> Bond villains. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... Let's have a look at these then. So, well, the way we're going to work this okay. is um, we're going to pit one Bond villain against another. So, who are you going to play? Who's the first card you're going to play? Well, I, I don't know if this is a wise choice actually, but uh, I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick Stromberg from The Spy Who Loved Me. He, Stromberg is one of the finest examples of a Bond villain, um, as is the one who came after him. I think it's Drax in Moonraker. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because he raises the issue that 
is hovering in the background of almost all Bond villains. Not all, but most of them. What motive is them? Stromberg, he lives in an undersea paradise, doesn't he? With Carolyn Munro in a bikini by his side. And yet he wants to destroy the world. I can tell you, if you put me in an undersea paradise with Carolyn Munro in a bikini, the outside world could go to hell. I don't care. I don't bothered. What does he want to destroy it? You know, it's like, oh, well, what I want to do is flood the world and wipe it out and create an undersea kingdom. What for? You've already got well, one. You've already got an undersea kingdom. But is is not... So in, in Bond films, the villains, or super villains, drive the narrative. Well, they do, it? yeah. But it always begs the question of there's just a degree of stupidity to what they're doing. So Drax <laughs> is the same in Moonraker. He's got, a, he's got a space station. Well, he's invented, he's invented artificial gravity as well in that space station. No one else has done that, to my <laughs> knowledge, but there you go. And he's, he's, he's done all this so that he can poison the planet and then repopulate it with his perfect kind of people that he's put on his space station. And you think, well, what, what, what are you bothering for? But is, is it not the case, though, that because this is, it's kind of a, uh, an arms race of villainy? So, because, yeah. and, and you find this with uh, Marvel uh, superhero uh, films, don't you? That, you know, it's got to, the stakes have got to be very, very high. Mm. Yeah. And for some games, it's like that, isn't it? Mm. So, Masks of Nyathleta, which is yeah. going to be redone for the seventh edition, yeah. that has a James Bond ending, the spoiler alert. Yeah, it does, it does, obviously, yeah. But it, to, to kind of give you that, feeling that the stakes are very very high well, and, it, and, and <laughs> you know that yeah it does but i i mean we've discussed this haven't we <laughs> with call of cthulhu i still struggle with what these cultists are trying to achieve <laughs> i mean they summon a monster a bit like strong they summon a monster and the monster eats a few of them and the rest of them go well job well done brilliant <laughs> oh no I, no no even if you even if you're mad the idea they're just mad they have seen several of them eaten by a monster. Do you know what I'd do? Even if it was mad, not do it again. I'll stay clear of the monsters. Well, let me um, pit Stromberg against mine, uh, which is uh, one of my favourites. One of my favourite uh, Bond films. Francisco Scaramanga. Oh, yeah. From the man with the golden gun. Yeah. With and his third nipple. With his third nipple. Third nipple. Great charisma, mm. great charismatic performance, a great charismatic villain. Yeah. And they're, they're hard to pull off in game, aren't they? Whether I don't, believe it or not, I don't have the same level of charisma as Christopher Lee. Really? <laughs> I don't have a third nipple. That's what but, you say. But what, what I like <laughs> about Scaramanga, I think, what, how he's useful for a game, mm. is that He's introduced in the concept of a game, isn't he? So yeah. he is a, a sword for hire, mm. um, the best assassin in the world. And to keep himself on his toes and to keep his skill level up, he goes into his fun house, a maze operated by Knickknack, his yeah, dungeon yeah. master. He dungeon, he's <laughs> he's dungeon, dungeon master. dungeon master, yeah. Um, to, you know, and, and he invites mm. assassins from around the world to make sure that he's still the best still the, still the, still mm. the top the death trap dungeon the villain who yeah. kind of yeah. invites you to come well it's the personal it's the personal element of it and, it and I think in a role playing game that's sometimes 
a better thing for, to motivate player characters because the Stromberg effect of they just want to bring about the end of the world. It, it, it is motivating, I suppose, because any it, it pushes players into a position of, well, if they want to bring about the end of the world, we need to stop them because yeah. there's no way of avoiding being affected by the end of the world. But in some ways, the personal thing is probably better, isn't it? It's smaller scale. In many, in many ways, The Man with the Golden Gun is James Bond's smallest scale adventure, isn't it? Because yeah. it is more personal. And, and I think it goes back to my yeah. thing about the uh, you know the arms race of uh, yeah. increased villainy. He is a kind of low key villain. And I think it wasn't. I think I'm right in saying it wasn't. Wasn't a big hit. Wasn't a big hit, was it? As, hit, a, as no. a Bond film. In some ways, that's why the Spy Loved Me does in the completely opposite direction, doesn't it? Yeah. In terms of you know maybe that's where the Stromberg effect comes from. You know, if it, if, it, if it's not a hit because this personal rivalry doesn't really capture the audience's imagination, so we'll go for something yeah. completely off the wall, some crazy man who wants to flood the world and kill everybody. You know, maybe that's, that's why that happened, I don't know. But I think from a gaming perspective, if you can get personal rivalry between a villainous NPC and player characters, that's really kind of magic, of one of the magical things of role-playing games, isn't it, where yeah. you've got player characters who feel an actual personal dislike and rivalry. So how would you manufacture uh, rivalry, um, like Scaramanga? Maybe he's always one step ahead. So when they're given missions, yeah. maybe he's already there mm. and done it. Mm. You know. And in some ways, what's I tell you what is, is kind of quite revealing about the man with the golden gun is that James Bond knows who he is yeah. from the word go. So there's that scene, isn't there, where um, there's the golden bullet delivered or something, or there's a golden bullet, and, and Bond knows who Scaramanga is, yeah. and also, from the word go, realises the peril he's in because Scaramanga has kind of targeted him and he's, he's after him. And that, from a role-playing perspective, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because it's the villain who's... Villainous, but not on, not there. Yeah. The best villains in in role playing games are often they're present, but they're not present. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the menace of them. It's the menace of them. And Scaramanga does that, doesn't he? He has that kind of menace that he's a shadowy figure. No one knows what he looks like. Uh, whereas I suppose compared to Stromberg, Stromberg, you know they know who he is. Yeah. Because he's a famous businessman, isn't he? A famous corporate yeah, yeah. figure. But Scaramanga has that quality of say menace off-screen presence you know Christopher Lee's charisma is sort of in the room during that scene yeah, in yeah. M's office even though Christopher Lee isn't there yeah. and in some ways the best from my experience as a player and as a games master the best RPG villains are those that the very name of them makes players sit up you yeah. know? and you can have a whole session where this villain isn't encountered but there's the sense they might be encountered, there's the sense that they're behind it, that kind of thing works better. And I suppose in that, in that way I concede that Scaramanga's a really yeah. good villain. He's a good villain. He's a good villain. He's, yeah. he's, that personal thing is better than the global catastrophe thing. Okay, next up, who are you serving next? Well, my next one is a little bit obscure, but from a gaming perspective I think it's interesting, is Miranda Frost from Die Another Day. 
Det är det Bronholm. Bronholm, His films are merging to one. They do, so, they do. They do. That's true. I, I did have to kind of Google it to find out the plot because yeah. I wasn't sure if it was Dying of the Day. Tomorrow, tomorrow never, never tomorrow dies. Never dies. The world's not enough. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. The, 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 the title started descending to, to, to fast, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. So, so just remind me, uh, Miranda Frost. What's, uh, what's no, Miranda Frost is um, an MI6 agent, isn't she? Who is working, supposedly working undercover for the villain, so pretending to be the villain's assistant. Um, I think his name's Gustav Graebos, Grave or something, isn't he? Um, so he's, she's pretending to be his assistant, but she's an MI6 agent. But later in the film, it's revealed that she is a double agent who really is working for him, and she's kind of betrayed MI6 and betrays Bond and uh, Halle Berry's character, Jinx. They have a fight, Jinx and uh, Miranda Frost have a fight on the plane, I think, at the end. Right. So it's that, it's that villain who's revealed so they're not they're not a scaramanga they're not stromberg they're not a goldfinger they're not a character you think they're the villain from the word go there's someone who you can be fooled into thinking is on bond's side you know and i think they do they do a reasonable job of that dying of the day yeah i think in convincing you initially that she is a kind of slightly steely i mean the frost the name frost she is She's frosty. She's frosty. <laughs> she's frosty. You know. Yeah. Uh, and, and she's she's an MI6 agent, and she's she's a bit uh, she's a bit like Bond in a way. You know, kind yeah. of cold, calculating killer. But she's on Bond's side, and of course she's not. And then from a gaming perspective, that's always interesting when you can get a villain in a game who the players trust, but they're actually a villain. Yeah. And it's it's a diffi- I think it's a really difficult thing to master in a role playing game because as a games master. You've got to strike a good balance between being fair to players and giving them perhaps a few clues that this person isn't what they seem to be, but not going too far that it's too obvious, so that players get perhaps a satisfaction from either A, when it's revealed, they go, ah, the oh, clues were always there. all the clues were there, yeah, but yeah. we didn't see it, or the other satisfaction of getting that niggling thought and thinking, hang on a minute. This doesn't quite stack up. Is this person all that they, you know, purport to be? Yeah. And that's and they do that quite well with Miranda Frost. I think in that film, it's not the greatest Bond film, but they, they do a quite a good job of it. And from a gaming perspective, that those kind of villains are really good, but really difficult to run as a games master. I yeah. Think. I think I think Miranda Frost. Um, makes me th- think as well about how women are treated in Bond. Yes. Um, because as we, as we said earlier, they, they're usually... Uh, they, I suppose they're the source of the character's weakness, aren't they? And they, they, frame, they frame the source of the character's weakness. Yes. So, you know, narratively, um, all the Bond films get disrupted when women are involved because he gets distracted or... Yeah, they're sort of his downfall, it's aren't downfall, they? So yeah. everything's going well, and then suddenly he, it's a bit like Living Like Die, isn't it? Where it's all going fine, and he meets uh, what's that she called? Solitaire. Solitaire. And that complicates matters, doesn't it? It's that thing about um, trust mm. and women and trust, and whether women are to be trusted. James Bond, World 7 RPG. Yeah, okay. The fame points work in that there's an adjustment for women, so that they can never be as famous as the male counterpoint. Kind 
Now you can yeah. say that as you know equal opportunities problem. That's an equal opportunities problem. Yeah, could go yeah. down that route. Yeah, like the BBC pay scales, isn't it? Yeah, but <laughs> I think it's more telling that it it kind of reflects that thing that women are not to be trusted. Mm. So the fame points work is that you can recognise them. So you recognise them as who they are. So the NPCs, PCs can. Yeah. It, I know this person. So fame points can be a disadvantage. Be a disadvantage in some contexts. Yeah. 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 But it means that women, if they are. The, the motivations are villainous are harder to detect. Harder to detect, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of implicit in it. It's implicit in the film, yeah, that's in the films, isn't it? That, that's there in the films. Yeah. Right? As a counterpoint to your um, mm. villainous agent, yeah. I'm going to raise another Piers Ron Hon film, mm. and that's uh, 006, Alec Trevelyan. Oh, yeah. From GoldenEye. Sean Bean. Sean Bean, yeah. Sean Bean, but it's not Sean Bean, because he, he, he sounds like my dad with his telephone voice, because he, he puts, he affects like an upper-class English accent. He does, he, do, he does do that, doesn't he? And I heard a, I read a story that when they started filming Game of Thrones, I don't know how true this is, I'm sure there are people out there who, who will correct me if I'm wrong, but the story was that Sean Bean was approached and he said, uh, could you drop the sort of Yorkshire accent and do more of a kind of standard English accent for Ned yeah. Stark? And he said, no. He said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'm doing it. So maybe he learned a lesson from that. <laughs> he learned a lesson. There's double, there's 006. He was sat there. I like to think he was sat there, the premier. You know, the royal, because they're always royal premiers, aren't they, yeah. James Bond? You know, yeah. yes, he's not a premier, they're a royal premier. Yeah. Or some monarch, part of the monarchy will turn up, Prince Charles or whoever will turn up. I like to think Sean Bean's sitting there in the front row with his popcorn and, you know, do they do popcorn at Royal Premier? I'm sure they no, do. I, I, like to think, I like to think they do. Camilla licking her cheesy fingers. Cheesy fingers, not gold fingers, cheesy fingers. <laughs> Enough of fingers, we don't want to go down that road again. And I like to think Sean Bean's sitting there and all the way through it he's thinking exactly what you're thinking. He's thinking, I sound like uh, Dirk's dad <laughs> putting a telephone voice. What was I thinking? Why didn't I just do it? Why, why can't a double O agent be from Yorkshire? Yeah. It's perfectly. Yeah. If if a man can build an undersea base, or a space station, or all those kind of things, why can't a double agent be from Yorkshire? He's learnt a lesson, and it's paid off in Game of Thrones, <laughs> albeit only for one season. So in the pre-credit sequence, James Bond leaves him for dead, doesn't he? So he's yes, a fellow agent mm. leaves him for dead. Yeah, feels guilty about it. Mm. Because this is the 90s. Yeah. Your stats to make him feel guilty. guilty yeah. You know, he's more, more than happy in the 60s to throw an electric fire <laughs> in a bath and say, shocking. <laughs> and then he turns villain, so he, come, he, he returns to yeah. the head of Janus. Yes. Jan- yeah, because yeah. he's two-faced. Two-faced. He's two-faced. He's two-faced. And he has a scarred face, doesn't he, as a result of the explosion. Because yeah. so, every, every Bond villain has to have a distinguishing feature. They do, don't An extra they? nipple uh, scar. Or, uh, you know, they, they've got to be distinguishable from Poi uh, Ploy. Yeah. yeah. And his motives um, are worthy of attention because they're kind of a post-colonial thing in the, in the, in the 90s, aren't they? Because he, his parents were Nazi collaborators who defected to the UK. Mm. And the UK sent them back to the USSR. Yeah. Were Stalin's uh, death squads killed 
yeah. people around him. Yeah. So um, his father killed his mother and himself. So as an act of revenge, he becomes uh, an agent within the MI6. With a long-term view of to ultimately sort of do something treacherous. Do something treacherous, yeah. Mm. It's very complex. It's as, it's as ludicrous, really, as Moonraker, really, isn't it? it is, this is always the problem. It, it becomes a ludicrous way of, of you know... Yeah. How can you have a beef against a whole country? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem... It's another fanciful villain, isn't it? With fanciful sort of plans. It sounds... It, it, sounds, it, sounds, sounds like, it did sound... You know, the way you were explaining it, it sounded compelling and plausible, but... But the minute you think about it for longer than 30 seconds. So in gaming, what does 006 represent? So he, similar to Miranda Frost, yeah, like yeah. A, he's, he's treacherous, yeah. he betrays. Yeah. But I think it's also uh, an equal match, isn't it? Because you yeah. never, you yeah. never yeah. encounter double A or yes, agents yeah, in yeah. films very yeah, often. True. To me, he's like an anti-paladin. He is, he is, like, um, yeah, he is, isn't he? I think I've done this. I think I played this trick on you. Yeah, I can't remember. In a, a Dungeons and Dragons game, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Advanced game. Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Um, where a PC, a, a character that I was playing as a player character in somebody else's game. Mm. This was back. This was. Oh, a, you did, you did, didn't you? He appeared later as an NPC in your game. Yeah. But he'd gone a bit mad. And he, but you didn't know he had. Yeah. And you trusted him. Trusted him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Vasper yeah. Cruel, the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Vasper Cruel. Vasper Cruel. I mean, again, <laughs> you're guilty of the same things that the uh, the Bond film. Vasper Cruel. I, I, I watched too many Bond films. <laughs> <laughs> Vasper Cruel was a, was a cleric, wasn't it? Who was left for dead, but resurrected. Mm, yeah. And he was the one that I went off on my high horse you to did. say, I'm yeah. not playing him again. Yeah. But I brought him back as an NPC, and you trusted him. But he'd gone insane because of the as yeah. a result of the resurrection, and uh, that's right. Uh, it was pitted against you. So there you go. So Alec Trevelyan and Miranda Frost. Who's going to win that round? Well, I think it should be Miranda Frost. Well, you would do, wouldn't you? Well, I would do because I picked it. I think they're equally matched. Do you think they're equally matched? I think we call that a draw. A score draw. Yeah, they're, they're equally matched in different ways. I mean, he's, he, she's a much, much more minor character than him, but yeah, it's quite a clever little trick. It's a clever trick for a James Bond film. I mean, let's you know, it ain't, it ain't no, it ain't no sixth sense twist. Stop being disparaging about Bond films. Sorry, about you sorry. Def- you. but you're disparaging about Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and uh, next up, mm. who are you going to serve up next? Well, there's one name, isn't there, that we have to mention. I mean, I've only got three choices. I feel obliged to mention it. It's got to be Blofeld, isn't it? Blofeld. It's got to be Blofeld. The recurring villain. Again, this is an RPG thing, isn't it? The villain who won't die. The villain who keeps coming back time and time again. Admittedly played by different people, (laughs) but always wearing a beige safari suit. (laughs) Why? <laughs> the worst Blofeld is the one that gets pushed into the tank of goo at the beginning of uh, uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> and he just, why not? What's the point of that? You just get pushed. And he, holds, he, put, he pushes him, doesn't he? It's the opening scene, isn't it? Yeah. He pushes him on a, into a tank of this goo. And he dies in there. 
But he holds on to the trolley so that he gets there, doesn't he? When you just jump off the trolley. No, the most ridiculous, I, I'm, I'm sorry, the most ridiculous appearance of Blofeld is the big, is the pre-credit sequence for, um, for your eyes only. <laughs> oh, yes. Where he's in the wheelchair. Where he's in the wheelchair and he gets picked up by a bond and dropped down the <laughs> That's chimney. That's right. Yeah. That, no, you're right. That is, that, <laughs> I take it back. You're right. That is the most ridiculous. And he's controlling the helicopter with the remote control. He is, yeah. And it, it, it Bond chases him in a mobility scooter that's across right. a rooftop. Yeah. And then picks him up with the... Yeah, that's right. One of the kind of, um, what are they called? Blades of yeah. the helicopter. Not not the rotor blades, but the, the blades underneath. It scoops yeah, him up and drops up. him in. Stupid. Absolutely stupid. That's the thing with uh, <laughs> a reoccurring villain. Uh, you know, this this goes back to kind of B movies and the pulp movies and uh, Fu Manchu. Uh, you know, yeah. you know, you think he's dead, but he comes back. Yeah, arrives. And it is a classic trope of uh, yeah. the genre, isn't it? But they become like parodies, don't they? I think become love, parodies. Love that. They do become parodies, and also I think there is that problem um, to go to kind of connect it to gaming. The recurring villain in gaming is okay but you can't overplay it. So you can have a villain who it's good to get players to think they're dead, but they're not. Yeah. It's good to play that trick once, but you can't keep playing it. You can't keep playing it, can you? Because then it becomes slightly ridiculous. The players start to think, well, well he's just going to come back, isn't he? This villain, whoever it is, they just keep coming back time and time again. So it's a quite a neat trick to have the, the villain who comes back from the dead. But... You, you can't overplay it, can you? Yeah. you know, in some ways, I'd, I'd go as far as to say, I'm a little bit against it. Mm. I'm a little bit against it, because I think it... Contrivance too far. It's a contrivance too far, isn't it? If you can construct a really good, sinister, threatening villain in your games, um, who, who players are kind of frightened of the very name of them, uh, that's good enough. If, if you defeat him, then that's kind of good enough. But to have him coming back time and again, that, that bit much. We don't say the same thing about the Joker, do we, for example? Joker keeps coming back. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but somehow, because it's in a real world setting, Blofeld seems even more ridiculous. It's, yeah, it's got that thing, hasn't it, that what's odd about Bond films is they're not like, they're clearly not like the real world, are they? I mean, the Daniel no. Craig ones, they, they do try and make it more real world-ish. Mm. But but certainly the, the Roger Moore ones are, are, are not real world. Even Pierce Brosnan ones are not. No. I mean, if you've got an invisible car in one of them, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But at the same time, you're right, it, is, it does have one foot in the real world, doesn't it? Yeah. So it it's a bit comic book, but at the same time, it's still asking you to. You've got to buy into a degree of plausibility to it. Yeah. But I think. It, but but going back to gaming, I think that is an interesting thing, isn't it? That you can read comic, but you can read Batman comics and the Joker and the Penguin and whoever they keep coming back time and time again. That kind of works in a comic book setting, but I, I don't think it works in a gaming setting. For me, it would annoy me. It would annoy me. It would bore me as a games master but it would irritate me as a player. 
if you feel you've gone to you know extreme lengths to defeat a villain and then the games master just brings them back time and again i'd say you could probably do it once but keep doing it and yeah. you know it can be annoying adversaries have to be defeated to be satisfying yeah for, to be yeah because otherwise i think as a player you feel a bit tricked if yeah. a bit conned if, if you think oh it's, it's going to come back again my uh, offering mm-hmm. is a smaller scale yeah. I'm going to go for henchmen. Okay. I'm going, yeah. going to go for Teehee. Teehee. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like Teehee uh, because uh, as a young... Live and let die. Live and let die. Is yeah. the guy with the metal arm? He is, yeah. yeah. He has a metal arm. That's and, right. Because uh, that's the thing, isn't it, with uh, the henchmen. They're allowed to have uh, a special feature. <laughs> they are. On Job's hat. Yeah. Jaws. Jaws is t- yeah, I thought you'd have mentioned Jaws, you know. Yeah. Jaws is T. He's, he's one of those famous henchmen, isn't he? It, it, he's, he's a reoccurring one, isn't he? And he actually reoccurs. But he only reoccurs twice, doesn't he? He only reoccurs once, doesn't he? Moonraker. Yeah. And so that's know. that's what I mean. That's okay, isn't it? And they marry him off, don't they? Marry him they off. Ma- well, that's a, again, they marry him off to some little woman with pigtails and they float away happily into space. And certain death. <laughs> Surely, and certain death. James Bond says to him, oh, he, he turns, he becomes James Bond's ally, doesn't he, Jaws? Yes. In Moonraker at the end. Yeah. And uh, James, but he manages to do that. James Bond turns him by saying, what do you think Drax is going to do to you? You're not perfect. He's going to get rid of you because you don't conform to his perfect view of humanity. That sounds like a completely ridiculous argument that a PC would make to an NPC, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Can I just roll for it? No, what, what, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Well, I'll come up with this. And then, but then it works. It works. And then, but then Jaws drifts off to certain death. It's like, I've convinced you this guy's going to kill you. So what I'm going to do is suggest just a different way of dying. Say, it's a lovely moment. But with Tee, <laughs> with, with Tee, with tea, yeah. I, he was a menacing figure. Yes, yeah, yeah. Menacing figure, yeah. yeah. Kananga's uh, henchman, of course, he lost. You know how he lost his arm, don't you? He's an alligator, wasn't he? Alligator, Albert yeah. the alligator. Albert the alligator. Took his arm off. He has this metal arm, which is slightly longer than it needed to be. Yeah, didn't it? It's kind, it kind of goes down to his knees onto this uh, because his real arm is inside it. It's <laughs> 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 a limited special effects there, <laughs> but it. <laughs> it's, it's great because it has that menace it kind of locks doesn't it it's yeah of, that's right and it, and for me it's kind of a show in, in game terms it's that special attack it's that mm, distinguishing yeah. feature that is great, you're going to be looking out for yeah a you feared know? a feared special attack that this villain's got yeah yeah it's yeah. got a, a scorpion tail mm. it's going to sting you and it's yeah. a heavy poison or you know yeah. it's that um, yeah it's that thing that is going to be at the forefront of everybody's mind when. Yeah, it's like the vampire, the Medusa, the that the, the villain that's got something powerful that is going to you know yeah. scare you a bit because you think well whatever we do we can't get on the receiving end of that otherwise we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And personality henchmen with personality mm. and uh, uh, you know they they're almost part. They give. The villain, the character. Well, they do really. That, that's true. In, particularly in Bond films, the 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 henchmen are more colourful and more characters than the villain. You know, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, yeah. certainly Jaws. The spy, lovely Jaws, is more 
memorable than Stromberg, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. And, you know, the, the same's true. It's like in Teehee, isn't it? It's Kadanga, but he's, he's a kind of fairly conventional gangster, really, isn't he? Yeah, you yeah. You know what I mean? He's not... He's a good performance, but, he, but he's not notable, whereas Teehee is... You wouldn't forget him, would you? <laughs> you know? Do you remember, do you remember Janice's henchman? Sean Bean's henchman? On the top. On the top. Oh, you were kill, killed with the thighs. Oh, uh, oh, on the top. On the top. On the top. <laughs> yes. On the top. Kills people with her thighs. That's right. Yeah. yeah. As you do. It's the, you know, the obvious way, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a convenient way of doing it. You have to go through all the seduction before you kill them, rather than just use a gun. <laughs> if only. Anyway. <laughs> So what we've got, Teehee, Blofeld? Well, I don't know. Blow, blow. I think I might give you Teehee. So. Teehee. Maybe. Thank you. Because he's, he's Blofeld. Blofeld isn't that menacing, really, is he? No. So I think what we've learned from this exercise, mm. I think, yeah. is I think that James Bond villainy is a good thing. Yes. And that it does give us plenty of role models and things we can learn yeah, for structuring yeah. our games. Yeah. Whereas you think they're frankly ridiculous. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think you've put your heart and soul into these villains. I, <laughs> well, let's do one about Doctor Who villains then instead. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, they, they are ridiculous, aren't they? They are ridiculous, but, I, but they're endearingly ridiculous. They're ridiculous, but I'm prepared to accept them as ridiculous. But I think if you introduce them to the table, that they're fun. They, they have all the qualities for fun because <laughs> they've got bold statements, they've got um, things that uh, provoke... They're a, they're a lot of fun. I mean, I think it's like anything with, with RPGs, isn't it? It depends what kind of game you're running, doesn't it? It depends on the game you're running. There are certain games where those kind of villains do work. You know, but I do think it's interesting going back to the thing about the man with the golden gun. That Scaramanga is the is the most, in some respects, slightly plausible. Well, he's not that plausible because he kills people with a golden gun. He's <laughs> made out of a cigarette lighter. Made of a cigarette lighter. It's slightly ridiculous because then everyone knows who's done it. If you're an assassin, you just want to kill people, and no one knows you've done it. But well, but it, I'll, I'll I'll wave that through. I'll let that yeah. go. But he's the most plausible villain in some respects in that he's. You know, maybe it's just Goldfinger is a bit, is it Goldfinger? Just wants yeah. to steal a lot of gold. Yeah, I suppose that's, I'm not sure what for. He's already got a lot. What more for? I think, I think the, <laughs> the difficulty with uh, Goldfinger is that his plot, his scheme to break into Fort, Fort Knox is, is flawed, really. That's, uh, yeah. Um, it, well, I think with band villains, it's, it's with me, it's motive. It's always about motive. I, I question the motives of band villains. I don't see why they're trying to do what they're trying to do. And I, don't, I always think he's not good enough to just say, oh, they're just mad. They're just crazy. Because I think, oh, yeah, but crazy people have motives, don't they? You know? Yeah. If you look at crazy dictators and, you know, crackpots throughout history, yes, there's a degree of insanity, but where it derives from, comes from a 
comes from a real place, like their upbringing or political situation they're in. Whereas a Bond villain is just like, I've got loads of money, I've built this base, and I want to wipe all you like I yeah. rule the world. So, for some of them. Okay. Some of them. For most of them. Some for most of them. <laughs> most some of them have uh, complicated backstories that <laughs> turn them against the whole country. Right, without further ado, I'm going to have to go to my uh, secret underground base. And uh, <laughs> where are you off to? <laughs> I'm going to a TARDIS. <laughs> That's what I want to talk about. <laughs> it's much bigger on the inside. <laughs> See you later. See you later, bye. There isn't a last bit. Incidentally, fact fans, unlike the other villains, Ernst Davro Blofeld doesn't appear in the RPG because there was an ongoing dispute over the rights to the character and Spectre with the Thunderbolt producer, Kevin McConey. I've really enjoyed discovering this game and adding it to our repertoire, thanks to everyone who's recommended it. The next part of our spy sequence will be coming early in the new year. Knight's Black Agents, part of the Gumshoe family, brings together super spies and vampires. The stakes don't get much higher, or sharper. Coming up next time is more Call of Cthulhu, with special guest Mike Mason. Call of Cthulhu line editor for Chaosium, who talks about his formative years in gaming. Also, we've just finished Fungi from Yugoth, so we'll be making a rare trip to see Ed in his shed to look at the handouts that he made for the campaign. Blythe and I will be reviewing our experience of playing it again after 35 years and casting the judge's eye over the 7th edition rules. Daily Dwarf is also returning with a look at some of the scenarios for Call of Cthulhu that appeared in the magazine. At the time of recording, there's just a couple of weeks left for you to join the Patreon campaign to get a hard copy of the second Grogzine. The print run will be limited to the Patreon numbers at the end of September 2017. You'll kick yourself if you miss it. Check out the link in the show notes. The zine is not going on sale. It's a thank you to the honorary members of the Armchair Adventurers, the Grog Squad, whose generous support of the podcast makes the zine possible, as well as covering the cost of hosting this and other related activity. There's been a number of people pledging in August, so thank you to you all. At the $1 level, welcome to Peter Skeynes, Stuart Dobson, WW2 Podcast, Andrew Seaton, John Watt. Thank you. At the $3.5 level, to qualify for the Collected Daily Dwarf Volume 2, is Matt Badham. Thanks, Matt. When it comes to the $5 backers, I like to award them a virtual gift from a table relevant to the subject of the podcast. This time, I'm reaching for the Q manual with a few additions of my own, so pay attention, Grog Squad. First up, Gene Mayers. He's joined the Grog Squad. He gets... Oh, gets a milk bottle grenades, as used in The Living Daylights. Christian Lind has increased his pledge, and he gets a finger clamp, as used in Diamonds Are Forever. Todd Maudlin has increased to $5. He gets a cigarette case safe-cracking unit. They always come in handy. Robert Arcangeli has also up to $5, so he gets a watch with a garrote wire. So be careful with that. Ian Engelbank has increased his contribution and he always takes time to write supportive comments about the podcast. So thanks, Ian. And you've got a flamethrowing arsehole. 
sorry, I'll read that again. A flame-throwing aerosol. Incidentally, we'd appreciate their return with the rest of your equipment, intact for once when you return from the field. Until then, adios, amigos. <laughs>